Do you have an idea for a podcast, but you don't know where to start? Maybe you're overwhelmed by all the tech or you're convinced nobody will actually listen to you. Well, I'm Shauna Game. After nine and a half years as a professional podcaster, at this show, everyone's talking money. And 25 million downloads later, let me tell you the secret to a profitable podcast. It is building a solid foundation, your podcast roadmap before you launch. That's why I created the Podcaster Class, a fast-paced group cohort podcasting for profit eight-week style NBA program. The Podcaster Class is immersive, comprehensive, and insanely motivational. If you want to create a podcast, DIYing a launch is just not the way to go. In the Podcaster Class, you'll get the tools, tips, and strategies to create a podcast that resonates with listeners and one you can be proud of. Get this. 90% of podcasters never make it to episode three. That's 2.8 million podcasters who just quit. So to be a top podcaster, you only need to publish 21 episodes, but you got to make them good. So in the podcaster class, I'm taking the mystery out of how to create, launch, and profit from your podcast so you can create a top 1% podcast just like this one. The May cohort is now open for enrollment. Classes start May 22nd. There are only 15 spots open. You are going to learn podcasting with me and 14 other amazing people. You can learn all the details at thepodcasterclass.com. Use code podcast when you sign up for $100 off. That's thepodcasterclass.com. You know I'm a big fan of enjoying life while still being smart financially. That's why I love ButcherBox. I can get a variety of high-quality meat, seafood, chicken, and pork at an amazing value, all with exclusive member deals delivered to my door with free shipping always. One thing I just never wanted to cut out of my spending plan is eating good food. And with ButcherBox, I don't have to, and neither do you. Where else can you get free protein for a whole year? Yes, you heard that right. One of my favorite go-to dinners is a salmon bowl. I'm not even a huge salmon lover, but ButcherBox's wild-caught salmon is Oh, so good. I make a nice little marinade, saute some veggies, cook the salmon, and throw in some weiss. And it is an amazing dinner. If you want to take less trips to the grocery store and always have prepared meat in the freezer for a lot less money, you need ButcherBox in your life. Sign up at butcherbox.com etm and get our special deal. ButcherBox is offering our listeners a free for a year offer plus an additional $20 off. You can choose salmon, chicken breast, or steak tips free in every order for a year. Sign up today at butcherbox.com etm. Hey, I'm Shauna Compton Game. This is Millennial Money, and today we're taking a journey into the Stockholm food scene. Hey there, and welcome to another edition of Travel Tuesday. Uh, Today we're going to talk more about Stockholm, and we're actually going to go deeper into the Stockholm food scene and how different and how diverse it is there. We're going to talk to uh, a few different uh, award-winning chefs, Michelin star uh, award-winning chefs, 
and some locals as well as uh, one of the hottest burger places in town. So uh, I've been traveling to Stockholm for over 10 years now, and it is really the food scene there has just really grown. And and now it's so much more diverse. Uh, There's so many more award-winning restaurants, uh, Michelin star award-winning restaurants and and restaurants that are recognized all around the world as some of the best restaurants. And and what has to do with a lot of Swedish chefs came back from working abroad, opened up, um, you know, really great restaurants. And it's also very different, too. It's not just a fine dining and white cloth kind of dining. It's the very diverse uh, restaurants. And so today we're going to have some of those chefs and uh, and others speak on the food scene. And, And so that was your first trip to Stockholm. And our first two meals, we didn't even eat uh, uh, Swedish food. We had, you know, Persian food and Greek food. So were you surprised how different and diverse the food scene was there? Yeah, I mean, I, I sort of expected I'd be eating some weird um, animal meat that I didn't, you know, recognize. But I was happy to note that there were lots of different restaurants and, um, you know, lots of different food options depending on w- what you like to eat. I mean, it reminded me of, you know, a L.A. or New York or Chicago, you know, a, a big city with just a very diverse population. And that was obviously represented in the food as well. Yeah, I mean, now uh, because I've been traveling there for so many years, uh, there's actually a lot of restaurants there I love so much. Uh, and our, our, our new friend uh, at Flippin' Burgers, now that was just an amazing burger, and we'll get more into that uh, in a few minutes. Uh, one of my favorite restaurants there I absolutely adore, and that was our last meal that we had there. Uh, it was a place called Eat, which is a, a Asian uh, restaurant, mainly Chinese restaurant. And it's literally one of my favorite Chinese uh, food uh, in the in the world, uh, next to San Francisco. I absolutely adore this place, and I've been there a couple times. Um, uh, Chef Daniel Frick, uh, who's one of the owners, has become a friend. So it's just I so it's just so diverse and different. So we wanted to showcase a lot of those things. So our first stop on our tour around the Stockholm food scene, we talk with owner and creator of Flippin' Burgers, John Widegren. Uh, as he talks about how he came up with his uh, special recipe for his awesome burgers. And, and, and Flippin' Burgers is actually one of the hottest burger places in Stockholm. There's actually a lot more other burger places that have popped up in the last, uh, say, four to five years there now, and including some food trucks and what. So here is John talking about his tour, uh, his burger tour around the U.S., as well as how he came up with the concept of the restaurant. So why did you guys start a burger place in Stockholm? Uh, well, I think it was a combination of a few things. Mostly, uh, I was very frustrated with, with the burgers that we had here. Mm-hmm. Uh, I spent some time in the States. I, I had an internship in San Diego back in 2005. Uh, and and uh, before that, maybe five years earlier, visited New York and just kind of always missed the burgers you get there. Mm-hmm. Uh, when, when you are at home uh, and I couldn't quite figure out what was the problem because you could find burgers in, in, in a lot of restaurants uh, you can never find a burger joint that only sold burgers and proper burgers and obviously we had the big chains and stuff uh, so it was a frustration for me uh, at the same time I had sort of a uh, life crisis <laughs> I was turning 30 and, and wanted to do something different with my life uh, I was a management consultant uh, and um, I just wanted to, like, yeah, do something proper, work with my hands. Mm. Uh, so it sort of <clears throat> coincided to this idea of why not just open up a small place and, and, and try to do it the right way. Mm. 
Uh, I had no clue how, how the right, right way would be, though, so I had to do a lot of research. Uh, and eventually I, I went over to the States again and had a little burger tour. Which, uh, that's a nice tour. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes, yes. So all the, all the pictures you see on the walls here are from my, my trip. Right. Just small, small joints. Right. Uh, like in and, or in and out or yeah. places like that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, we, we're always making exceptions for in and out Yeah, exactly, right? exactly. Have they um, have Stockholmers like embraced the the burger yeah. culture? Yeah. yeah, it's been it's been crazy almost to the point that uh, I think a lot of us grew a bit tired of it because uh, what what I wanted to sort of promote was a feeling of why don't you treat burgers the same way you would any food if you're a restaurant? Cook it, not just heat it up ground the meat yourself, have a fresh baked bread and all that stuff. But in the process, I think, it also came a development with a lot of other places and opening up, and, and uh, it became almost too serious. So it sort of went full circle. It's like, it's only food, come on. Uh, so, so it's been crazy. When we started, I can honestly say that there wasn't one place in Sweden that was a proper burger joint that only sold burgers and beers, of course, and did the food from bottom up. Now, I would say in Stockholm, there's at least, I would say, 30 places. Uh, in Sweden, I think it's 100 plus. And that's just in the past five years. Uh, so, well, and, and I mean, you've seen it in all the major cities, at least in the Western Hemisphere. Uh, so, I think it was a, a tr like a large trend that has to do with a lot of things. Uh, I'm just babbling here. <laughs> no, 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 but uh, like about seven to ten years ago, the, the restaurant scene sort of sh shifted here. Do you think that has been the embrace too of why there's like so many different burger places and also so many other different kinds of cuisine around the, yeah, the city? I, I think if, if you're talking about the the switch from what you could say from fine dining to fun dining mm -hmm. uh, and and the whole of bringing down everything, what the restaurant is supposed to be. Absolutely, it's a part of that. Also, the upgrade of street food, this is like a, a reflection of that trend as well. Uh, but then we have some specific, I, I would say, uh, country-specific denominators, if you want. Uh, first of all, we have never had any good street food in Sweden. Uh, a big difference if you're in the States, if you go into a diner or a hole in the wall or whatever which you can do in a lot of parts of the world, especially Asia. Uh, you can find good food uh, from, like, what you would call mom-and-pop places. We never had that here. Uh, so in Sweden, it, it's, it's almost been like you could tell by the look of the place if they're going to serve decent food. And by the look of the place, I mean, it needs to look decent. Whereas in most parts of the world, it's the opposite. If, 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 if it looks a bit shabby and run down, it's probably good, because otherwise people wouldn't go and eat there. Right. Because uh, you're not going there for the interior, but the restaurants in Sweden has been more like a, a just like an I don't know advertisement for <laughs> residential <laughs> projects. So so I think there's a, a few things uh, flowing around there that sort of all mix together in this uh, overall trend. But absolutely, the restaurant scene has shifted here. It it has become cheaper, plus the quality has been raised. So I, I think. It's a lot of good things that has happened. Right, right. And how did you guys start out here? Uh, we just... How did it start? 
uh, I struggle, and then we open. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, did you guys start off a smaller location or a food truck? Uh, it was a smaller location. Okay. Yeah, it was uh, the the. I mean, when you start out, the, the hardest thing is to find a place that you can afford. Mm. So I was a bit lucky and find a, a second-hand lease. Uh, so it was a restaurant, but it moved out, and the guy who rented out the place said, well, you can rent it for me uh, without, like, buying the place. Mm. Uh, so it was a small place. Uh, it's only, like, 10 minutes from here, but it was even more, like, off the, the beaten track. Mm. Uh, and um, well, I think the strategy I had, because I had no budget and and an off location, was to sort of build awareness of what we're we doing here, and also felt that it was a need to not educate but at least inform people of, because I think a lot of Swedes had a view of they knew what a good burger was, uh, but actually we didn't. We didn't have a clue. Uh, so it was also a way for me to sort of explain to people what I'm trying to do. So I, I set up a blog, uh, and I grinded a lot of meat in my kitchen. <laughs> you you pr- probably tasted a lot of a lot of burgers during the process. Right? Yeah, You're I did. Yeah, trying to hone the recipe. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, and then, kind of when I, when I was feeling okay, now I got this under control. Then I went to the states for like the burger tour, uh, and and uh, it went on for six seven weeks, and I had like two three burgers a day. Uh, so, but what I took with me mostly from from that trip was uh, the tradition and, uh, and the way you make it so simple. And the thing I was talking about, you don't need the whole thing with the concept and the interior and whatever. Uh, I mean, a lot of the classic burger joints you guys yeah. have is just a bunch of people standing in a uh, wear out T-shirt and a baseball hat <laughs> cooking burgers. Right. Uh, and and that was sort of the the feel I was looking for, yeah. and also to put the product first. Right. When you walk in here, you you kind of feel real comfortable. Cool. Yeah. At least that's what I would think. I mean, is that what Swedes kind of feel too, or at least they're sort of warming up to that now? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I think Swedes we are very design oriented, yeah. and we 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 I think a lot of us like uh, beautiful things, nice nice things to look at, but. I also feel that when you go out to a restaurant, uh, there's a difference in uh, if the place sort of symbolizes uh, a concept or a feeling or or it's too formal, you kind of sit up straight and you become like this. And, and the thing here, I think, you can come in here in your sweatpants on a Saturday uh, afternoon and just have a few beers, or you can stand in the bar on a Friday night and feel a bit of a pulse. Uh, and I think the interior has a lot to do with that. So we have a insurance policy for for comfortable interiors here. Is that I design the place, and that makes it look kind of ugly enough. <laughs> <laughs> um, so what's what's your top burger here? Uh, the top burger is what do you say? Type a, a top like what's the, what's the, the biggest most seller? Popular. Yeah, most yeah, popular. I would say it's the the signature burger, Flippin, which is a double cheeseburger. Uh, we have a bit of white onion uh, in the bottom bread with mayo and then just some mustard and ketchup on top. Yeah. Uh, and the reason for that was when I was trying out burgers, 
uh, I always ordered double cheeseburgers with nothing on them because that sort of is the ultimate test if it's if it's mm-hmm. something to have. Totally, yeah. yeah, yeah. And that was another thing. I mean, burgers in Sweden used to be they had so much thing on them mm-hmm. to hide the fact that the bread and the patty was just <laughs> right, crap. Right, right, right. Yeah. So I said, let's start this from where it's supposed to be. A double cheeseburger needs to be freaking good, mm-hmm. otherwise there's no point. Uh, and then. What happened to me was after a few bites, if there was some mustard ketchup on the table, I would put it on, and maybe some mayo if you had, and I always missed onions. Mm-hmm. So that was the sort of signature burger that came along. Mm-hmm. And then we have another burger that we call uh, Burglar, which is just a rip-off of the old McDonald's. <laughs> they had the hamburger. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, and that's just a classic, like, West Coast, maybe, the original chain burgers. Mm-hmm. I mean, some... Iceberg lettuce, mm-hmm. some tomato, and mm-hmm. our own burger dressing. Right. Like a Thousand Islands right. type of spread. Right, right. Was there like a burger in particular when you were doing the States tour where you're like, this is that's, it? Yeah, yeah. That, that's it. It was a couple of them. I think I'm always impressed with Shake Shack, the volumes they're handling and, mm-hmm. and what they're doing and the consistency. Uh, uh, and then, but I would say it was a place in Atlanta called Holman and Finch, uh, which they had sort of interpreted the classic cheeseburger. It was just uh, two patties, cheese, their own pickle. Uh, maybe it was caramelized onions on it. But that was it. Mm. And the bread was... Because you know a lot of these fancy burgers have this like, brioche-type bread. Right. Uh, and then you have, on the other scale, you have the Martin's potato roll. Mm. And they had sort of a mix in between them. Mm. And, and that was what we ate with our bread as well. Uh, so that burger was ridiculously good. But then they had this thing that they only served, like, I think it was 24 burgers a night. Ah. And they called them out at 10 o'clock. So, and that was for them to, like, maintain the quality. Uh, and what we have learned here is that, I wouldn't say anyone, but almost anyone can make a decent burger. The real challenge is to have the burger being decent every day of the week for, like, 100 and 100 yeah, and 100. Exactly. Yeah. Right. I heard your guys' boozy shakes are really good too. Yeah, they're they're quite okay. <laughs> There's no secret there. It's just Ben and Gary's ice cream and milk. That's, that's all that's in them. Right, right, yeah. right. So, what's kind of like the evolution? Like, do you want to build more locations or? No, I kind of decided from the beginning that, I mean, first of all, it was it was only going to be that place that we had down there, the small like hole in the wall thing mm-hmm. uh, and then I had to sort of rethink because there was a lot of trouble uh, problems with with the location as such with wiring and, and ventilation all that boring stuff uh, so then we, we needed to move and when we moved we sort of decided okay we need to be a bit bigger because it was kind of chaotic down there uh, uh, so but then we moved here and I said okay this is it it's only going to be one flipping burgers and we're going to stick to that, but we have a few other projects mm-hmm. going. Uh, we have built a, a production kitchen, so we can make... What we do now is we, we grind our own beef, we have a freshly baked bread every day, uh, and that's organic, and uh, we have a very strict policy on what kind of beef we buy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we have a craft-made organic burger cheese that a small family dairy has sort of developed for us. Mm-hmm. So as far as the cheeseburger, we're like, okay, now we're done with that. Uh, we still don't make our own ketchup, we don't make our own mustard, uh, that kind of stuff. So we want to take the, the next step. So that's why we're building the production kitchen, uh, to make more stuff ourselves. Uh, and in 
next to the production kitchen, it's a big space that we're going to turn into, uh, uh, I would say, a beer hall, mm. uh, but more like an American style than maybe a German style. Mm. Uh, so, and that we're going to serve our sliders there that we have in our food truck, which is, uh, it's more or less the mini version of the Pittsburgh. Mm. Uh, and then we have a, a hot dog joint that we're uh, planning. Mm. So we're gonna do a little expansion, but it's just gonna be that for now. Right. And it's it's actually more to when we moved here, uh, we needed some more structure and routines and administration. So we have an office down the street. Uh, we have an HR manager and a finance manager and that kind of stuff. So it became like okay, we're too small to be this big and we're too big to be this small. So so now we're gonna have a more stable platform. Right. But we're gonna stick to the fact that this is not gonna be a chain. Right. I think there's enough chains out there. Right. And also, when you big, uh, when you do the franchise model, I mean, somewhere along the line, you have to standardize to the point that you lose the sort of the excitement. Right. Uh, and you also, I think, it's really hard to, to keep an uh, even consistent quality. And that's why I'm so impressed with Shake Shack. And there's no... Uh, uh, you guys in the States, I think you have... Obviously, you have a lot of chains that are crap, but you have a lot of, I would say, more premium style franchises that can sort of hold it together. Yeah. I haven't seen that in Sweden, right. ever. Right. Do they do a lot of franchising in Sweden? I mean, is that, yeah. is that a concept that... Yeah, they do. They do. Uh, but it's more like the big international brands. Right. Yeah. I think your guys' process about having local growers and stuff like that, that's also the shift in the, the cuisine here in, yeah. in Stockholm and Sweden all around right now. Absolutely. People are, so many great restaurants are, are doing that and yeah. stuff. So. Yeah, and I think uh, that, I think the influence for that has come mostly from, from outside because, uh, and, and it's a, it's a very, I think, welcome development. Uh, you have to understand that a lot of things in Sweden uh, has been big business oriented uh, and you have like the meat industry for example it has been focused towards efficiency and hygiene so as long as it's efficient and hygienic nobody cares about quality and, and that goes for the authorities the big meat suppliers and also I would say the the farming universities and, and the research and everyone is just geared towards that thing uh, and um, so I think the trend now with like small scale butchers starting to come. Obviously, the microbrewery trend and whatever. If you, if you go back five, ten years ago, uh, maybe it was ten brewers in the whole of Sweden, and there's still only, I think, a tenfold of, of butchers. So it's still like very large scale. Uh, especially for being such a, uh, I mean, we're quite, uh, the distances in Sweden are not, uh, I mean, quite a not a big country, but in space. Right. Uh, I mean, from the north of Sweden to the south of Sweden, that distance is, uh, what is it, 1,800 kilometers. So if you have a slaughtery, yeah, it's going to be a lot of transports. And, right. Yeah. So right. I think that's a very, a very cool development that uh, everyone is sort of going back to seeing what they can find in, in, in the local areas. Right, yeah. right, right. Why do you think Stockholm is a great city for people to come visit? I mean, as simple as it, it's it's beautiful. Yeah. It is. I remember when I 
finished my university studies, I was in Australia for a year, and I was just blown away by Sydney. I thought it was just amazing. Uh, and then I came back from Australia, I moved to Stockholm, and I was like, well, this isn't half bad. I mean, <laughs> Stockholm in the summer, it's it's up there. It's, it's, it's beautiful. Now it's, yeah, at least you got a little sunlight almost. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's been nice. It's been nice the last few days. Yeah, but... Uh, I think it's a beautiful city, and, and uh, it's very convenient to get around. The public transport is really good, at least when they clear the streets from snow, which they don't. But Okay, so next we have top TV chef uh, Nicholas Exted, who is the owner and chef at his restaurant, Exted, which is a one-star Michelin star award-winning uh, restaurant. Uh, he's going to talk about the Swedish diner uh, and, and the different the differences there that they have, and also some of the ventures that he has coming up in the future uh, with his future restaurants. We usually compare the Swedes to Japanese, you Uh. know. We're very, like, unforgettable. Like, if you... If you don't do a good thing... Right, like a bad dish. A bad dish or a bad waiter or, like, they'll... Thanks for the meal. They maybe even tip, but they'll never come back. Wow. <laughs> yeah. And they won't say anything. They're not like Americans who are like, oh, this is horrible, you know, or like, right. terrible dish, you know. The, you know, the Swedes were just like, okay. Mm, right. Mm. Yes. We'll yes. not be recommended yeah. nor coming back. <laughs> but they silently, like, kill you. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, that's a big difference. Uh, but, you know, uh, they're very, like, open to new things. Because of Scandinavia not being a culinary, I mean, originally a culinary destination, we kind of built, we have to build a reputation. So it's a, in Europe, I usually compare countries with, you know, wine, uh, wine producing countries and non wine producing countries are two different culinary scenes. So if you look at like Scandinavia, uh, the Benelux countries in Great Britain, you know, we don't originally grow wine. Now, thanks to climate change, we can you know, start growing them. But, uh, but historically, we haven't been able to do it. And then the, the culinary scene has been completely different. We haven't had this kind of like rooted culinary heritage like you have in Italy and France. So the difference here is that people don't have a culinary kind of history from their childhood Mm. of course they have memories of their mom and dad cooking for them but they don't have like strong identity to one culinary uh, history so they're way more open to new things and that's what's great about cooking in Sweden so if I put an extra ingredient into my dish or if I add if it's not completely 100% Swedish people are still you know still find it interesting they'll say like oh this is nice this is like veal but cooked with juniper berries oh usually I mean maybe originally you would have done it with all spice but then I changed once you could never do that in Italy uh, right, they right, would right. be like yeah. You, yeah they won't eat it yeah. <laughs> like, it's like it's uh, you know Massimo Buttura the famous Italian chef he, say, he says like cooking in Italy is like throwing a stone into the water and making the circles into squares <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's, that's how hard it is right, 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 right. we are in a way much easier position in, in Sweden we have a much more open and, and friendly uh, customer so are there any other like uh, you know, with the success of this restaurant, mm. are there any other projects that you... Like, yes, well, I really want to go to the UK, kind of like, yeah, so I would love to have a restaurant there as well. Um, I have 
a lot of friends in London and I've spent a lot of time there and my parents lived there a short time when I was a kid as well so we lived there for a year when I was a child and I have my brothers there and my yeah so it's like that I'm looking to maybe to have something in England that, that's just a whole different culinary scene then. yes I mean it, it is very different London is super super competitive and it, it's a difficult city to, to cook in and uh, I, but I, I would like to give it a, a go yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah I would like to try at least I mean this American friend told me once that you Swedes are so lucky. You have the best insurance company in the world. It's called Sweden. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. And it's kind of true. I never thought of it, but it's true. It's kind of like, you can like, you can, you can really fuck up anywhere, yeah. but you still can always move back to Sweden. Right, yeah. <laughs> right, right, yeah. right. So that is very true. Yeah. Yeah. The hosp- yeah, no, the hospitals and the school system and everything is just like, well, you know, you could be broke here and still kind of comfortable. Right, huh. right, right. Interesting. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think with this restaurant, you kind of hit your stride as a, as yes, a chef? Yes, definitely. Like, yeah. like some, and you discovered a whole other side of yourself. Of that course. You, it was a, definitely yeah. my comfort. It was com- there. It was yes. there. I mean, yeah. it was there, and, and, and yeah. I had, of course, a platform, and yeah. maybe it would have been difficult for someone else to pull it yeah. off, like financially, to get the money right. going and stuff like that. But, right. but it was definitely my comeback and my, my international breakthrough, definitely, yeah. Right. Before this, I mean, I mean, people in Sweden knew who I was, or like, there were people kind of like in the culinary world who knew me. But I mean, it was after this I kind of like yeah. I go abroad and you know yeah. I can right. I talk at food events and right. yeah. I'm invited to different uh, different events all over the world. Right. So right. it was definitely uh, uh, something that was. Uh, made made me a, a new career, right, right, and very comfortable with that. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> How do you collaborate with your chefs then on uh, and coming up with a different menu and stuff like that? Because you, you guys seasonally change your menu, right? Yes, so, I mean we work permanently on changing the menu seasonally, of course, um, and um, but also in the technical aspect. So we like trying to work on either techniques that we used to work with that mm-hmm. we try to bring back in a different mm-hmm. way or we try to research new techniques that usually are forgotten techniques right. and there's there's so many techniques out there um, cooking wise because if you look at cooking you know without electricity of course it's a way longer period yeah. you know <laughs> it's you know they, yeah. they've found you know I, th- I think they talk about cooking and fire being older than you know, Homo sapiens. Right, you know, right, it's right, being right, like right, right. really old. It's like right, right, right. before, before us, yes. right, there was still right. like right. Yes. before yeah. us, there was fire cooking. Yeah. You know, and uh, so I mean, of course, that's it's been been there for some. So there's periods of I mean, so so cooking with fire and cooking with cast iron and as we do with birch, it the. We've done that historically for such a long time in Sweden. So even the history has different mm-hmm. uh, techniques. So if you look at the 1700, they had a completely different te- uh, different cooking technique. Right. Because back then, 1700 is a really interesting uh, time in Sweden because it was so influenced by the French. The French cooking, mm-hmm. like the, the, the whole royal family was mm-hmm. French. And it was a very big French period. And they really didn't like the flavor of grilled. Mm-hmm. 
they didn't they, they liked cooked things back then mm-hmm. and you can really see that in in recipes that when the fire was on they didn't want the smokiness to come into the to to the flavor they didn't use fat that much because they were they didn't want the to taste because that was the taste of poverty you know <laughs> it was like because there was a fire everywhere you know every house was sure. was, was heated with fire and every uh, every stove was heated by fire so they wanted you know to, to exclude that they wanted right. the the cook if a fine dining fine cooking back then yeah, was something yeah. that didn't taste of grill and didn't taste of fire yeah. and that's of course completely different from what we do today in a modern grill you know right. you want it to taste like charcoal you know right. you even would right. spray it with right. charcoal <laughs> right. yeah. yeah exactly you infuse it yeah. with yeah. a smoke pistol right. yeah. Yeah. so it's a so it's it's super interesting to go back in history and see how cooking kind of like changes uh, with fashion, and um, so so you can look into at that period of cooking and then you could find odd techniques that they used then and then we try to put them back into this contemporary kitchen. Right. Yeah. But the difficult the the, diffi- the most difficult part for us is that we kind of we wanted to look modern on the plate, right? Because mm-hmm. You know, coming here is not like going to the museum. Yeah, it's supposed right. to be high-end cooking, right. Right. because right. You know, otherwise this just wouldn't be a point having right now. So I, us- I usually say that we're this kind of like we're a restaurant competing against motor yachts in, on with the sales. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> so it's, uh, but it, it, it's fun. It's a right. lot of fun. Yeah. So next up, we spoke with our friend Jacob Johansson, who we had on the last Stockholm episode. And Jacob talks about some of his favorite places to eat around the city in Stockholm. What are like some of your favorite things to do in Stockholm? Well, I eat a lot. <laughs> I eat my way through the city. Um, we have so many great chefs, and I think we talk a lot about sustainability and um, uh, products in food that are produced nearby, environmentally friendly. And I think since we talk so much about it, we, we're starting to have and have also a very strong food culture here. Um, I think we we appreciate food and enjoy food in a much larger sense. We and we have so many great chefs here mm-hmm. um, even if you go to Matthias Dagen and Grandotel which is fantastic it's mind blowing uh, or you go to Lilla Ego up in Vasastan which is fantastic uh, you need a three month reservation except for eight spots in the bar which you can queue for for half an hour and I do that like every third month uh, it's a great spot to go to um, or these new shops in, in Sedaman there's so much great food to enjoy that and going to the ballet on the Royal Opera. That is fantastic. Uh, it's one of those things when you move here, you do, uh, maybe I'm, I'm still too young in that sense um, to enjoy, but if there's so many great things that you can um, try to enjoy if you really put your mind to it. So I've started out watching at least one ballet every six months. Um, there's also cool dance companies and, well a lot of um, f- short films that are produced here in, in Sweden as well that I think is um, well they, in comparison to international the movie scene is they're quite strong right right mm-hmm. and, and would it surprise people or do you think it would surprise people how diverse the food scene is here too and how it's grown in the last yeah, ten, I think ten years. It, it, depending on where you come from, you can find your own uh, culinary cuisine here. Yeah. And that probably would surprise people when they just want to go looking for meatballs right. in every restaurant. Um, and you have that a lot, of course, too. But um, I don't think the, the Swedish food are as... 
um, specific as Japanese food or Korean food mm-hmm. or um, Kenyan food, which I love mm-hmm. as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, yeah, it might surprise people quite a lot. Yeah. But there's so much to try to evolve from the meatballs and lingonberries into yeah. uh, even uh, stronger and older traditions. Especially now around Christmas when you're right. here, you should try the Yulbord, which is translatable into smorgasbord. We're, yeah. we're going to try to get to one, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. you really need to do that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I've, I've, I've experienced that during Christmas, so. Oh, you have? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Couple, you like couple, it? Couple, oh, yeah, a lot, yeah. There's like too much to eat. And did you have sous drumming? And then you have the board. I did actually, yes. Oh, I tried okay. it. I don't, I'm not my thing, but I tried. No, it. it's not anybody's <laughs> thing. It's like two people <laughs> from right. all our right. million that and enjoys that. Keep serving it, yeah. yeah it's, it's the heritage. Right, right, right. right. Uh, what are some of the places you like to go hang out in, in Sodermal? Uh, well, I like um, Barumash, which is just like two blocks away from my apartment. Mm-hmm. They won the, um, some kind of award for uh, strongest bar concept this year, but it's it's quite small. I maybe would take 60, 80 people if it's extremely crowded, mm-hmm. but you can go there on a Tuesday night. It's still like great lighting, great mm-hmm. drinks, um, and the people there, even though it's the... Uh, neighboring the bar or the bartender and are a great company mm-hmm. um, and around that area you have Paradiso quite newly opened and you have Hectet mm-hmm. um, which also has great food but maybe it's the better place to go to after 10pm uh, to late at night and then if you want to go clubbing around my hoods you would go to um, Underbrun, which is uh, in Sweden in the summer it's called uh, Tegården, and then Tegården closes down for the winters, and then they open up Underbrun. You go into an elevator, you have this plastic, um, almost like a meat store (laughs) thing, (laughs) you have to go through and the person driving the elevator has a, a Turkish hat on <laughs> and the music is very specific but it's a nice thing if you like these more um, could you say maybe Berlin inspired places yeah. to go to because yeah, yeah. right. that's so the is, is more like if you talk about uh, Berlin or um, maybe the coolest area in Paris without that mm-hmm. would be um, or going to uh, uh, the standard uh, mm-hmm. in New York the same kind of vibe and feeling that is diverse mm-hmm. and is um, well, a new experience yeah. in both bad and good ways. Right, 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 right. Okay, and lastly, uh, on our tour around the Stockholm food scene, we spoke with two-time a Michelin star award-winning uh, chef Magnus Eck, uh, who actually will have a full interview coming up this week, later on this week. Uh, he is the chef and owner at Oxenkrog and Slip. They're two different restaurants. Uh, one is the fine dining, which is Oxenkrog, and Slip is the bistro. So Magnus is going to talk about uh, some of the things that might surprise you about the Stockholm food scene. Um, people may think of like Stockholm as like meatballs and all that kind of stuff. What would surprise people when they come here about the, about the different cuisines and the different um, choices that there are uh, all around the city? Oh, since I'm not an outsider, it's really hard to say what, what they're going to be surprised about. Uh, what people always tell me is that uh, the general quality of the food here is really high. Like, uh, it's, it's uh, I mean, it's not hard to get crappy food here, but it's, like, if, you, if you're looking around a little bit, yeah. it's easy to find good food. Right. Right, right. Uh, and also a big variety of uh, food. Right, right. 
America, we are endowed by our Creator with certain unalienable rights, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. At Grand Canyon University, we believe in equal opportunity, and the American dream starts with purpose. By honoring your career calling, you impact your family, your friends, and your community. The pursuit to serve others is yours. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Private. Christian. Affordable. Visit gcu.edu.